Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. What a blessed thing it is to know our position before the Lord who is full of truth and grace. I'd just like to put one more plug in for Wednesday nights. If you haven't been coming to Wednesday nights, they're a great Bible study. They're also a great time of fellowship. In the last two weeks, we've had a crawfish boil, and then we had smoked um, uh, rump roast. And, uh, and this week, we're going to celebrate and have uh, Cuatro de Mayo. We're, we're going to have Mexican food. We're going to have tacos, soft and hard, uh, beef and chicken uh, we're going to have all the casseroles that the ladies bring, and we'll have a really good time of fellowship, and then we'll move in here for our devotional and continue our study on the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been coming to those, I really would like to invite you to try uh, a Wednesday night devotional with us. They are very, very uplifting and meaningful. Lance has a fly he can't get rid of, and what? No, he's reminding me there will be a pinata for the little ones on Wednesday night, and they'll beat that up and then uh, share in what drops out. What I believe is very, very important. The next few weeks, 10 actually, we're going to start a new series, a lot of new things going on at the church. We're starting a new Sunday morning study uh, that is called uh, The Change Moment, and it's really good. If you haven't been a part of that, that's great. New Wednesday night study on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to start a new sermon series called Believe. Our key beliefs mold our hearts. They determine our behavior, and our beliefs change us into who we are becoming. What we believe, what we believe really matters. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This word heart, it doesn't it doesn't mean mind. It doesn't, it's not mental ascension. It, it means the innermost being of a man. What a man really deep in his heart believes, that's what makes him. That's where he's at. Let me share this whole scripture with you. Probably don't see this taught very often. It, it's Proverbs 23, 6 through 8. Now, do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Let me give you a modern day illustration for what the scripture's trying to say here. I get invited over uh, to a church to, to preach, and I come in on Friday, and I come in Friday night on a plane, and a guy takes me in to his house and says, stay with me uh, while you're here. 
And, and he takes me to the bathroom and shows me the bathroom where the towels are at and the soap and the sink and the shampoo. And then he takes me in and shows me this nice bedroom. And he says, you'll sleep here for the next few days. And tomorrow morning, I've got to get up and go on uh, to do something. But my refrigerator is full of stuff. And you just make yourself at home and eat anything you'd like in the refrigerator. Just help yourself to anything you'd like. And so... I go to sleep, I get up the next morning, and what do I do, David? I'm hungry when I wake up. I go to the refrigerator, and there he has all this great stuff. And so I take out the eggs, and I fry me some. He's got pork chops, and I make me one. And he's got yogurt, and he's got fresh berries. And I help myself to them just like he told me to. And then that evening, we, we have a, a, a get-together at his house, and much of the church is there. And while I'm there, he kind of gives me the cold shoulder. Won't really talk to me or speak to me, and I can tell something's really wrong. And, and I ask him, is anything wrong? And he's, no, not really. And so I'm sitting around, and I'm talking with all of his friends in his house. And, and I look over, and I said, man, he's, he seems to be upset about something Do you. Do you know what he's upset about? I mean, I got up this morning. He told me to help myself through the refrigerator. and Oh, you helped yourself? You ate his stuff? You used his stuff up? Yeah. Oh, well, you don't understand. He knows what to say. He knows to express to you that you should help yourself to his refrigerator and help you to his stuff. But really, in his heart, he's a miser. See, to know something up here and to express it, that's different than what's really in the heart. What's really in the heart matters. What really matters, what's going to mold my behavior, is what's in the heart. I love this quote. The journey of belief begins in the head. But it must migrate 12 inches south to the heart to make a difference in our lives. Why? Because we live from the heart. We live from the heart. We live consistent with the beliefs embraced in our hearts. And this is self-evident. This is true because Jesus says, where your treasure is, what? That's where your heart is also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your real belief is, where your heart is, that's where you're going to find your treasures. I love what Claude Harmon said. He was the 1948 uh, master golf master tournament winner. Uh, won a lot of others, but this is what he's most famous for. He raised three sons who are by many people consider them to be the best golf instructors in, in the world. And he said this, a good golf instructor can spot 10 things wrong with a golfer's swing. A great golf instructor can identify the one that's causing the other nine. <laughs> but isn't that true about our Christianity also? What really messes us up, what really can cost us our hope and our joy and sometimes even our salvation is a misunderstanding of a key element. You see, if you start the golf swing wrong, you'll finish it wrong. 
if you start the stance wrong in golf and don't have that right, nothing in the swing will be right either. And that's true of our hope and our joy and can even jeopardize our our salvation in the Lord if we don't have our fundamental belief system down. And so that's what we're going to work on for the next 10 weeks. The Christian life is not primarily an intellectual pursuit, nor is it simply about doing good or engaging in spiritual activity. The Christian life is about who you are becoming for the sake of yourself, others, and the glory of God. Amen? Christ-likeness is our key goal. You see, I know some great theologians who are really, really smart intellectually. They are right on the money. They know all there is. They know Greek. They know Hebrew. But they're mean-spirited. And I know people who are good civil servants and who are civic-minded and who serve as civil servants and do good all the time. But they're very immoral people. And I know people who come in and they worship, they pour their hearts out on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday, they look a lot. Well, really, honestly, they look just like the rest of the world. Really becoming Christ-like is our goal. And if our belief system is right, if our hearts are right, the rest will follow. In our Believe series, this will be our main verse. I'd like to commit it to memory. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You want to know if you're if you got evil inside of you, well, it's going to spew out in the way you behave, and it's going to come out your mouth. And if you're full of good, well, that's going to spill out into your hands and feet and your mouth also. These are the ten basic things of Christianity, basic topics that we'll be talking about for the next ten weeks. If we get them right... We're really on a great start and a great path to the Christian life. Our first is God, our understanding of God. I love the little illustration of the boy who really, really believed in God. It was late one night. They were through with supper, and they, <clears throat> they got ready to sweep the floor. And Mama says... Go get the broom. It's around the end of the house. And the young boy says, okay. And he gets to the, to the screen door and he opens it. And when he opens it, he steps halfway outside and it's pitch dark. And the wind is blowing the trees around. And it's scary. And he steps back in and he says, mama, I'd rather not. It's dark. It's scary out there. And the mama says, no, son, you don't understand. God's with you. Now, you just go get that broom and 
everything will be fine and God will be with you. And the little boy thinks, okay, God's with me. And then he takes that a little farther and he steps outside into the dark and he stops and he puts his hand out and he says, God, you're out there already. Just hand me the broom. (laughs) (laughs) Our key question this morning is who is God? Our key idea is that we believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our key verse this morning is, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What a, what a beautiful way Paul leaves them in this scripture. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. First, God reveals himself. Second, the one true God. Third, God in three persons. And our fourth point will be the Trinity in our lives. And note takers, don't panic. There'll be more time. God reveals himself. The psalmist says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to, the, to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. God's revealing himself in nature. On a macro level and a micro level. Paul says to the Romans, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. I don't think anybody can honestly say there is no God. You can't be aware of your surroundings and not realize that there is a God. I loved this interview with this guy. I saw him one morning. Uh, it's, it's Francis Collins. He, he was the director of the Human Genome Project. And but right, before, right before he had finished mapping out the human genome, he and another uh, entity were in a race. They were both about neck to neck in trying to figure out who was going to map uh, the human strand of DNA first. And, and on this morning show, the, the, the interviewer, and, and I, it wasn't Barbara Walters, but it was somebody along that line, they come to this guy and they say, well, besides all the, all the science we're talking about here, I understand that you used to be an atheist. And he said, that's right. I was. But he said, I could not look at I could not be around humans and deal with humans and then turn around and look at the 3.1 billion amino acids and their connections and not see God I could not look 
at how these amino acids lined themselves up perfectly. 3.1 billion of them in a healthy person to make up the genetic gene code of the human and not see God. And at the time, he didn't have a real handle on who God was. But he was there to say, this doesn't happen by accident. I love his quote here. I see DNA, the information molecule of all living things, as God's language and the elegance and complexities of our bodies and the rest of nature is a reflection of God's plan. Whether it's looking at a strand of DNA or it's stepping out on your back porch at night and staring up at the universe, Paul says it declares, it declares there is a God. God reveals himself, number two, the one true God. Joshua, he's taken over leadership from Moses. Moses has died. He takes them across the Jordan into the promised land. And most of Judea, they have conquered at this time. And Joshua is old and he knows that time is coming to an end. And he wants to encourage the Israelites one more time. And he has this conversation with them. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship that they worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served or beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in those lands you are living. But as for me, and my household, we will serve Yahweh. Now, I know it doesn't say that. It says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In your Bible, if you were to look up that word, it would be translated Yahweh or Jehovah. That is the name of God. He says, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to worship this one true God. And he calls on the rest of Israel. And since Joshua has said this, we have the same problem today. We want to serve a lot of many gods, however they present themselves. Power, popularity, money, greed, those other those other gods with the lowercase g that pull at your heart. Joshua understands that you're always going to be pulled towards other gods, but he wants you to put them aside, cast them aside, and worship the one true God, Yahweh. The one true God, God in three persons. This one's a little harder to understand. I want to talk about first what it's not. This trinity, this unity of three. God is not three separate gods. Tritheism. That's what modern day Mormonism believes. 
that there are three completely separate gods. That's not true. God is not one God who manifests himself in many different roles or modes. That's modalism. Uh, some of our Pentecostal friends believe this, okay? That's not true. Jesus is not subordinate to God the Father or the Spirit, okay? Some of the Jehovah Witnesses believe this. So what is the Trinity? God in three persons. And it doesn't take long of looking at your Bible to see that there's more than one God present. There's more than one personality present in the Godhead. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we've got God and we've got the Spirit. We move on to Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Unless you're schizophrenic, you don't say that. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over all the creatures that move along the ground. We see as soon as the world is created, there's an us. There's an ours. Okay? In Luke, Luke shares the story of Christ's baptism. Christ comes walking up. John the Baptist sees him at a distance. And he declares, the Lamb of God. And, and then they have a discussion about about. Who should be baptizing who? John submits. He baptized Christ. This is where we pick up our scripture. Then all the people who were being baptized, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying. Heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Do you see them all three in this scripture? All three are at the present, are present at Jesus' baptism. We have the Holy Spirit coming down. We have God still in heaven pronouncing that he is, that he is proud of his son that he is pleased with his son. And we have Jesus Christ in the flesh still with wet toes from his baptism, all three present in the same scripture. John 14, 16 through 20 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. On that day you will realize I am in the Father, and you are in me. And I am in you. See, we can't, we're no longer now, we can't look at them as three separate entities. Because they seem to be in each other, in us, and us in them. God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit in this perfect community of love and edification. They've always been, they always will be, and they invite us into that same community. God reveals himself, the one true God, God in three persons, and number four, the Trinity in our lives. This God wants to live in your life. He wants to be with you day to day. In Acts 17, we've studied this before. Paul comes into Athens. He gets to Athens. He's walking around, and there's all, there's all the, the, these statues and these monuments, these altars to all these gods. And then he gets to this one, and it says to the unknown god. And he goes, ah, I see an opening. So he starts talking to people about Yahweh, the true God. He says, let me tell you about this God, this unknown God that you don't know yet. Let me tell you about him. And he starts sharing the gospel story. And he shares this gospel story with them. And they're so impressed about resurrection and life beyond death that they drag him away to the, to the Areopagus. And when they get to the Areopagus, they want to hear the story again. And Paul starts again. And behind him, on, at Mars Hill behind him, there's this huge temple. And, and this is when Paul makes this statement. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live, live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs he himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need this god this god is about not you not trying to manipulate a god to try to get him to do what you want like gods need something, all Greek gods needed something. You had to do something to them so you could, you could manipulate them to serve you back. This God that Paul tells us about doesn't need anything. Matter of fact, this God's all wrapped up into providing you exactly what you need. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Three through six. That's a little typo there. There's no Ephesians 43. If you find it, let me know. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, and you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. Now listen to this who is over all and through all and in all. You see, he's made everything. He's in everything. And now he wants to share community in you, be in all. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Christ, us in Christ. God with us. All these scriptures say the same thing. The Trinity wants to be community with you.
God reveals himself, the one true God, God and three persons, the Trinity in our lives. I want to leave you with this one scripture, but before I do, I just want to say if you don't have God in your life, if you haven't made that commitment, if you've gone away from him, walked away from him, and you need to turn back to him, today's the day. Turn back. Take the Lord on in baptism. Walk in the light. Lance, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.